Bookings are open for the domestically made Medigen vaccine. The online system crashed several times on Monday due to heavy traffic. Some 242,000 people were able to make an appointment in the first two hours. The health minister has confirmed that 614,000 doses of Medigen will be administered nationwide starting next Monday. This batch will be offered to adults aged 36 and older, as well as people aged 20 and older who have select high-risk diseases. As of Monday, more than 39% of Taiwan's population has received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. The FDA has denied an application for the emergency use of United Biomedical's COVID-19 vaccine candidate. The domestic vaccine maker's application was rejected by an FDA panel of 22 experts, with 17 panelists voting against. When explaining the rejection, the FDA said that the safety profile of the candidate was acceptable, but that it failed to meet efficacy standards based on the immunobridging approach. The government has a standing order for 5 million vaccines from United Biomedical, which the company can still fulfill if its planned phase 3 trials are successful. United Biomedical's COVID vaccine candidate has been denied approval for emergency use. The results of the vote were as follows. There were 22 experts on the panel. Not counting the abstention from the panel convener, 21 votes were cast. Four of them requested more documentation and 17 voted against granting EUA. Therefore, authorization has not been granted for mass production. The company may still continue and carry out phase three clinical trials. Phase three trials will still go ahead to get the vaccine market ready. By then, it will be too late to apply for EUA. Though the vaccine has been denied emergency use authorization, an order of 5 million vaccines for Taiwan's government still stands. United Biomedical says it will carry out phase 3 clinical trials with an eye toward mass producing its vaccine in the future. Taiwan's requirements for emergency use authorization are twofold. First, the neutralizing antibody titer induced by the candidate must be at least 0.67 times that of AstraZeneca. Medigen's antibody level was 3.4 times that of AstraZeneca, but United Biomedical did not meet the FDA standard. The second requirement is a vaccine seroconversion rate of at least 50 percent. Medigen's rate was 95.5 percent, while United Biomedical again missed the FDA bar. Medigen's antibody response relies entirely on adjuvants. So Medigen developed an adjuvanted vaccine that's been able to induce a very high antibody titer. Although the titer doesn't represent the overall immune response, it's a beautiful number at the very least. In the case of United Biomedical, the same issue with adjuvants is at play. But the adjuvant it uses is probably not as good as Medigen's. Relevant arrangements will need to be made. We will ask United Biomedical to provide the relevant information and make the follow-up arrangements for vaccination. The participants in United Biomedical's clinical trial will need to receive vaccination of another brand. The CECC said it would convene to finalize the vaccination arrangements. The government has finalized its plan to issue 5,000 NT in spending vouchers free of charge to every Taiwan national. 
Premier Su Chang met with DPP lawmakers Monday morning to finalize the program which they want to launch in early October. If 1,000 NT were to be collected from 10 million people, the administrative costs would be quite high. Therefore, today we arrived at the consensus that no one will have to pay 1,000 NT to receive 5,000 NT in vouchers. And because everyone is so used to calling them quintuple stimulus vouchers, we will continue to call them quintuple stimulus vouchers. So you said Taiwan's GDP is forecast to grow 5.88%, the fastest in 11 years. He said this provides the cushion the government needs to absorb the cost of issuing free vouchers. According to the Premier, local governments and lawmakers are already designing promotions that can be used with the quintuple stimulus vouchers. Researchers have discovered the reason why some cancer cells are much less responsive to immunotherapy than others. A team at the National Health Research Institutes found that when destructive free radicals build up in the mitochondria, the body's T-cells become inhibited, which allows hardened blood vessels to grow rapidly around tumors. The team found that when this happens, tumors become up to 80% less responsive to immunotherapy. In response to this discovery, researchers have developed a protein-based drug that can repair blood vessels surrounding tumors and thereby improve the effectiveness of cancer treatments. The drug is currently in animal testing. In recent years, researchers have been studying the potential of immunotherapy for cancer treatment. For the first time, they've discovered why some tumors seem to escape immunotherapy, with effectiveness reduced to just 20 to 30 percent. The reactive oxygen species inside the mitochondria can induce chronic inflammation, which inhibits T-cells in the microenvironment. The macrophages switch from activating to inhibitory, which prompt them to secrete copious inflammatory factors. Researchers found that multifunctional proteases in the mitochondria can induce macrophages to secrete inhibitory cytokines by regulating the concentration of free radicals. This secretion prompts blood vessels surrounding the tumor to proliferate rapidly, allowing the tumor to escape attack by immune cells. Here on the screen, you can see the difference between healthy tissue and tumor tissue, where the surrounding blood vessels are hypoxic, hardened, and even inflamed. Researchers say that by repairing these blood vessels, physicians can increase the effectiveness of cancer therapy. They have developed a protein-based drug now in animal testing. If blood vessels in such a state can be repaired, it would unblock the channel, so to speak, so that chemotherapy or immune cells can smoothly enter the tissue and achieve their goal of killing the cancer cells. We're hoping the treatment will clear animal safety trials and toxicology testing. The therapy works by unblocking blood vessels so that immunotherapy can better reach tumors to inhibit their metastasis and growth. In animal experiments done so far, the treatment has increased the response rate of animal subjects by 30 to 40 percent. Researchers have patented the work in the U.S., Japan and the European Union. Amid the pandemic, finding a job as a fresh graduate can be difficult business. To help young adults looking for work, the Ministry of Labour has launched a subsidy plan that offers up to 32,000 NT over three months. During the period, participants will have to show proof that they have been proactively looking for employment. Let's hear from a Labour official.
希望说，呃，这样子一个疫情下就会市场。We hope that this can help with the state of the job market amid the pandemic. We want to encourage young adults that have just graduated and that are looking for work to be more proactive in finding a job. We expect that this plan can help about 100,000 fresh graduates. Registration for the program started on Monday. The subsidies will be available to fresh graduates aged 20 to 29, including men who graduated in 2020 and finished their military service this year. In addition, the program is not just open to unemployed applicants, but also to those with a monthly income of less than 23,100 NT. Restaurants are welcoming the return of eating in, and the industry is breathing a sigh of relief. Some popular eateries that survive Level 3 say they're now confident they can stay afloat if their old customers support them. But it could be too late for many other eateries. Lots of food and drink businesses are on the rocks or are already shut. Fresh shrimp, squid and scallops are seared in the pan, then simmered on low with guanjin rice. This restaurant is finally open again, and chef wants this classic dish to be perfect. Traditional seafood risotto is always made with Italian rice, but we make all our risottos with Taiwanese guanjin rice. This is truly a happy moment. At one point, the pandemic threatened to take the chef's job. This Taipei restaurant, a recipient of the Bib Gourmand, was rumored to be close to shutting down earlier this year. But after a three-month shut, the return of eating in is a lifesaver. The restaurant reopened last Friday. For us at the moment, of course it will be best that we can fill half of these seats. If our customers come and patronize the restaurant every day, then we will definitely stay in business. This Japanese restaurant, another Bib Gourmand winner, reopened on the same day. The seating has been distanced as much as possible to prevent any issues with COVID. A customer asked if they could sit down without a screen because they're a couple. But we said, we're complying with the government's requirements, and now it's because of the pandemic, so we recommend customers, well, we insist that the screen has to stay. These eateries have been delighted to see regular customers gradually return. They're is life after COVID, but many restaurants are less fortunate. Popular spots that are reportedly closing down include a veteran beef noodle shop in Ximending, a 70-year-old Mongolian barbecue, and the Move Viet Vietnamese restaurant. Taiwan's long-suspended travel bubble with Palau is back in action. The first flight left Taiwan for Palau last Saturday, carrying nearly 150 people. Under revised regulations for the newly rebooted program, Taiwan nationals no longer need to join a guided tour group, but can explore the archipelago as individual travelers. The Taiwan Palau travel bubble was rebooted on Saturday with rules that have been considerably relaxed since the first tour group set off in April. More than 90% of Palau's population is now fully vaccinated with two doses of a COVID vaccine. And right now, they are rolling out vaccines for teenagers aged 12 to 18. So, of course, the travel conditions are different from back in April. In April, all travelers had to arrive and return to Taiwan in a group and to move around Palau in a group. They were barred from going if they had visited other countries in the previous six months, if they had been in isolation in the previous two months, or if they had been infected in the previous three months. All travelers had to get a PCR test on their fifth day back in Taiwan. Now, under the updated program, there are fewer restrictions. 
Travelers can now go as individual tourists. The rules regarding foreign travel, isolation, and infection history now only pertain to a period of 14 days before arrival. Another change is that now travelers will get a PCR test at the airport upon returning to Taiwan. In general, when going abroad, Taiwanese travelers have to provide proof of a negative PCR test taken within three days before departure. For the travel bubble, they need to test negative in a PCR test on the day of departure. After returning to Taiwan, the first order of business when they reach the airport is taking another test. As long as the process is managed well and testing is implemented, I think that the risks are really minimized. The travel bubble is back and its relaxed travel conditions are expected to attract plenty of interest. Meanwhile, Palau's president has invited Olympic gold medalists Guo Xingchun, Wang Qilin and Li Yang to visit his country. According to reports, the president hopes they'll stop by around Palau's Independence Day on October 1st. A DPP lawmaker has suggested that Taiwan should step into the void left by the waning of Confucius Institutes to promote Chinese language and culture worldwide. The Confucius Institutes gradually gained considerable power in Western educational institutions over the past few decades. But in recent years, their close association with the Chinese Communist Party has ignited controversy and sparked backlash. As Confucius loses popularity, some are asking if Taiwan could take the chance to shine. A student from Madagascar speaks to the camera in fluent Chinese, learned through the Confucius Institute. Videos like this are produced worldwide, but in recent years, several Confucius Institutes have closed down, following waning enthusiasm for the presence at Western universities. When it comes to the Confucius Institutes, we have ongoing concerns about um, activities of the CCP, including through these institutes, um, uh, given that they might affect academic freedom in the United States. Over the last years, the Confucius Institute has represented the infiltration and undermining influence of Chinese sharp power in Western countries. It has provoked backlash and resistance. Confucius Institutes generally get into the universities and educational institutions of the country. Then, using financial capital and human resources, they get some level of influence on the educational sovereignty of those schools. That's an enormous taboo in Western countries. With the influence of Confucius Institutes falling, a BBC report suggests it's perfect timing for Taiwan to step into the Chinese language education market in the West. Last year, steps were made in that direction with the launch of the U.S.-Taiwan Education Initiative, an upgrade to bilateral cooperation in language education. Taiwan can take over promotion of the Chinese language or Chinese language culture now. It's the perfect moment. I look forward to seeing something like a Formosa Institute offer a sincere and good-faith platform for cultural exchange, free of any complicating political motives. Taiwan's international visibility is very high right now in the wake of COVID. Perhaps it's time to enter the vacuum left by Confucius and take soft power seriously. The Lanyu pig is a special species native just to Taiwan. The small black pig was originally found only on Orchid Island. But with the population dwindling, in 1980, a conservation program brought the Lanyu pig to Taiwan proper. After many years of breeding, there are now hundreds of the creatures flourishing. And now at last, a group of Lanyu pigs has traveled back to Orchid Island.
Three adorable little black pigs circle around their mama for milk. The species has been protected for 40 years. This is the first generation born on Orchid Island since. After 40 years, we were finally able to bring our Lanyu pigs back to Orchid Island last year. There's a very deep policy implication in this, which is that agriculture, production, culture and ecology are all deeply interlinked. The species traces its roots back 600,000 years and is only found in Taiwan. It's also called the small-eared pig or the mini-pig. With its petite frame and tiny black ears, it's impossible to mistake. In recent years, it's been used in lab experiments. In the past, it was an indispensable part of ceremonial life for the people of Orchid Island. It was crossbred with other types of commercial pigs for many years, which has changed its distinctive features. In 1980, the Livestock Research Institute brought a number of Lanyu pigs to the mainland for a breeding program. Pigs with unadulterated Lanyu genes were bred at the Taidong Breeding Institute. Now, about 500 piglets are born every year. In January, 10 male pigs and 18 sows were brought back to Orchid Island to breed there. And in June, the first litter of three was born. It was the first time a species of pig was successfully bred in a remote breeding program and then brought back to its homeland. One of our goals in bringing the Lanyu pigs back to Orchid Island is to help them avoid these major infectious diseases. I think that's one reason. However, more important is that our Livestock Research Institute began this program over 40 years ago. This work will definitely continue. It won't just be on Orchid Island. In the future, we will continue to carry out all kinds of protection programs. After more than 40 years of adventures over the sea, these little Orchid Island pigs are finally back home. Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall has reopened for art events with the easing of lockdown. A new exhibition by veteran surrealist Chen Jingrong celebrates his work across various media. Through murals, paintings and even interactive projections, art lovers are enjoying the thrill of an in-person show once again. The characters in this mural are as lifelike and striking as those of any painting. The stones were handmade by the artist, a pioneer of surrealism. For details in the eyes and mouth, you need stones smaller than a fingernail. Sometimes he accidentally hits his hand. It's not the same as a normal mural made with ceramic tiles. The finest stones are just a quarter of a fingernail. There are all kinds of sizes, all produced with a hammer. That means if I'm not careful, I hammer my fingers and sometimes they bleed. In these paintings, Chen explores Sun Moon Lake and the landscapes of Orchid Island, veritable adverts for domestic travel. To celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day on August 1st, the exhibition includes a large collection of portraits of Indigenous people. I really have a deep love for Indigenous people. They're not like people who live on the plains, always wearing suits so neat and tidy. They have all kinds of clothes and they move naturally and it's easy to put them into painting. There's also an interactive projection space. You can produce a moving blessing message on the screen by waving your hands. After more than two months shut, Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall is full of visitors as families flock to enjoy art outside the home. 
Taiwan has launched a campaign to promote its literature and culture to the Japanese public. The campaign invites Japanese to go on a Taiwan tour for the mind by exploring books and attending forums at select bookshops in Japan. The campaign is organized by the Ministry of Culture's Taiwan Creative Content Agency, or Taika. Its first forum was held on Monday, featuring Taiwan's digital minister and the de facto Japan ambassador. Minister Without Portfolio Audrey Tang and Japan's representative to Taiwan Izumu Hiroyasu gave a talk in Taipei at an event held simultaneously in Japan via video conference. This was the inaugural talk in a series organized by Taika to promote Taiwan's culture in Japan. Thanks to Taika, this summer Japanese people can truly go on a journey of Taiwan in their minds. Bookshops have prepared a lot of books to get better acquainted with Taiwan, and I believe the talk series will offer a better understanding of Taiwan. Hiroyasu said that in 2019, tourist exchanges between Taiwan and Japan exceeded 7 million people, a record high. But amid the pandemic, tourist flows have stayed stagnant. To reach out to the Japanese public, Taika has partnered with local bookshops, which will host talks and showcase Taiwan-themed collections of books and magazines. Hiroyasu heaped praise on the creativity of the Taiwanese. This voyage of the mind reminds me of how last year, in face of travel restrictions due to the pandemic, Taiwan led the world in inventing these fake overseas trips. It was a completely new concept and I was very impressed. The opening talk featured Tang, Taiwan's digital minister. She said Taiwan was a melting pot of places, ethnicities and cultures. She said Taiwan's literature, theater and music were sure to resonate with the Japanese public. The year I was born, my family played a lot of music by Luo Daio, like Lugang the Little Town and Master of the Future. I think of those songs as poetry. Other speakers at the event will include Japanese authors and voice actors with knowledge of Taiwan, who will introduce Taiwan topics to Japanese audiences. Organizers hope the events will further deepen the friendship between Taiwan and Japan.